He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Those are verses 67 to 72 of Psalm 78, verses 40 to 72, of which are, form the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, June the 14th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at um, the book of Numbers. Today we're in chapter 11, verses 1 to 23. Continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 22 to 27. And then in the book of Romans, the, the epistle of Paul to the church at Rome, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 25. In the, the Numbers passage, you're going to see God's sarcasm. Uh, the people are, are rebelling. They're, they're upset. They're tired of the manna. They're tired of, of this life in the wilderness. And so the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Certainly, they had a difficult life. There's no way around it that that living in the wilderness, living only on manna and water, um, not being planted in a place long enough to grow crops and things like that, would have been a, a terribly difficult 40 years. Now, there's a reason they're there 40 years, and that reason doesn't have anything to do with God. It has to do with them and their lack of faith, their lack of belief in Him. They didn't have that. They should have had enough history through the plagues in Egypt to see the goodness of God and his concern for him and his power and his ability to do all things. And yet they were afraid to enter the land because they were afraid of the, the giants who were in the land already. So now they're complaining about their misfortunes, which are completely due to their own lack of faith. It appears that this week is going to be the week to think about faith a lot. Maybe it's because I need to hear it. So when the Lord hears them complaining, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. So the, the, this thing went from a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to a literal fire that consumes some outlying parts of the camp. God's anger blazed hot against them in, in a very real and tangible way. Then when that happened, the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned against them. Now, the rabble that was among them had a, strain, a strong craving. Now, the rabble here, that, it's an interesting term. It's the Erev Rav, E-R-E-V-R-A-V. And that the Erev Rav is the mixed multitude. So these are not Jews who are, who are saying this. The, the rabble is, is that group of people who joined themselves to Israel and came out at that time. And, and the, the, they have... A, the Jewish rabbis sometimes, some rabbis, not all, have a strong opinion about the era of Rav. <laughs> They're absolutely convinced that that all these episodes like this relate to the era of Rav, and, and you'll see in a second why they would come to that conclusion. Um, but but that's they blame the era of Rav for most of the problems that occur while they're in the wilderness. So so the the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And we're going to learn in a minute what that craving was. And the people of Israel also, see, that, so you got that group and the people of Israel. They wept again and said, and here's why that they will conclude 
the the rabbis, some some of the rabbis, not all, but some of the rabbis will conclude that this is the era of Rav speaking and not the people of Israel who were slaves in the land, right when they in Egypt. So here's the people of Israel also wept again like they did before, and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And so this is a, what they say is, is that only the heir of Rav would, would look with longing and remembrance on how good times were in Egypt, because the people of Israel were actually slaves. So they wouldn't have enjoyed all these things. But the fish, for instance, that cost nothing, well, there's this thing called the Nile <laughs> that runs right through there, so that's why they would cost nothing. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So they're despising God's provision. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance the appearance was like that of bedelium. That's a color. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So we've already, we already know that, that it was, it, for whatever reason, it was connected to the fall of dew in the camp. The, the other thing the rabbis will teach about the manna was is it tasted just exactly like anybody needed it or wanted it to taste. So it, it tasted different to each person, depending on what that person wanted, depending on what that, what that person desired it to taste like. And so that's why they get that from the taste of it was just like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Well, a cake has a flavor, right? But only to the extent that you add the flavor. The flour itself doesn't have any flavor at all. So, no, it, this is, that's why they come to the conclusion that it tasted like whatever you needed that cake to taste like. So Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans and everyone at the door of the tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Remember, that's what happened before, but there was a fire that time. And Moses was displeased. And so Moses says to the Lord, I mean, this is so funny, because having pastored a church, I, I can relate to this prayer so, so well. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why is my life so hard? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? I mean, I, I can't handle this. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? Does this sound familiar to you? Does it resonate sort of with some gospel stories right here? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? When Jesus feeds the 5,000, he calls the disciples to him. And he, says, he says, hey, I don't want these people to go hungry. We need to give them something to eat. And their response is always, where were we going to be to feed all these people? <laughs> For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we've made. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden's too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. I mean, this is too much, God. you just given me too—and it is. I mean, you think about it, 600,000 people. <laughs> and Moses is intended to shepherd these people, but not alone. God is doing it with him. And, and the, the, some rabbis will teach that this is why they sent the spies, actually, is because Moses, the, they trusted Moses, and then it feels like Moses put them down. 
their responsibility. And then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I'll come down and talk with you there. And I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Well, I thought we covered this ground back in Exodus 19 when Jethro showed up and said, hey, here's the deal. This is too much. You're doing too much work. It's not good for you, and it's not good for them. And so this is what happened at that place, too. So so Moses is telling us a different story here about this 70 people. <clears throat> He's, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. And so when was the other time God told the told Moses to tell the people to consecrate themselves on the third day when he showed up on the mountain at Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments. So they were told to consecrate themselves then, and now they're being told to consecrate themselves again for tomorrow. Not three days from now, tomorrow. And you'll eat meat, for you've wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you'll eat. You shall not just eat one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days but a whole month. And meat was not a normal part of the diet in those days. And so to say you're going to eat it for every day for a month is pretty amazing. And then here's where the sarcasm comes in. Until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Yep, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you so much meat that you won't be able to stand it. And it's because you rejected me. You rejected my provision, and you've also rejected the coming out of Egypt. And I mentioned this um, in, in, in another context a while back. One of the things that the rabbis sometimes will teach, and I don't mean one guy teaches it now but not tomorrow, I mean that some rabbis teach it, is, is that, that 80% of the Israelites in Egypt— actually died during the plague of darkness because they didn't want to come out of Egypt. And and so there's this sense of, why did we come out of Egypt? That, that God would be accusing them of the same thing and the same attitude now that they're in the wilderness. And and if the rabbis are correct in that, then, then it would certainly, when he says this to them, they would certainly be chastened and f- fearful because <laughs> they would remember what had happened to their brothers. But Moses said, The people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I'll give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Again, here we are back to Jesus' feeding miracles. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them, or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. I mean, the Lord spoke this word. And Moses is questioning it. At this point, he's, he, he has his own lack of faith. God said he was going to do something. That should have been the end of the story. But it's not. And Moses questions whether God can do this thing because he's looking at how he would try and provide meat for all these people. But that's his way. Has he forgotten the way that the water came from the rock. I mean, it's easy to do this. It's easy to, to go back and rely on what you know. And that's what Moses is doing here. But God says, my hand's not too short to do this. You're going to see that this will happen. In the gospel lesson today, 
They were gathering in Galilee, and Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. It's it's funny because it's like when Will was sick and in the hospital, not sick, but when he was recovering in the hospital and when he was in a coma. So he couldn't express himself. We had no earthly idea what to expect. We didn't know if he would recover. We didn't know if he would be damaged, you know, for the rest of his life in, in, in horrible ways. But the people, the, the nurses, the doctors, whoever would talk to us, and whatever Suzanne heard, it was only the very worst possible thing that she heard. And she, if there was anything good in it, anything hopeful in it, she missed it completely. And that's the way they are here. They're greatly distressed because Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. There's good news in that. In fact, that is the good news. But they were distressed because they didn't hear that last part. They didn't, they didn't get it at all. They only heard the first part. When they came to Capernaum, which is home, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, the two drachma tax was the temple tax. It was for the maintenance and the upkeep and all that stuff. And so Peter said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? When he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. And he knew at that point what he had to mean, and Jesus is making the claim to being not just the Son of Man, but the Son of God. And and I don't have to pay the tax. It doesn't make any sense because it pays it into my own treasury. So he says, the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So what he's done... <laughs> is he, he, Peter, he, he caught him out in a lie. He caught Peter in a lie. And, and he, Jesus knew what had happened here. And, and so he catches him in this, but he says, let, let, I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to make the issue be about the temple tax. Because little does Peter know, they're going to spend a lot of time in the temple over the next week, over the next period of time, once they get to, the, to Jerusalem. And, and so here, what he says, Peter, and, and this is like punishment, Right, because Peter is a fisherman. Peter goes out in, in a boat with a net, and he catches, you know, large catches of fish, and he sells those things in the marketplace. To to tell him now to go to the sea and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up and open its mouth and find a shekel, take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Peter has to feel a little bit like a fool. This is a guy who has made his living there, and he's back. He's going back to the Sea of Galilee, back to where his father still is, where John's father still is, where all the men that he knew are, that he worked among and considered himself proudly a fisherman. Now he goes down with a hook. You know, it, 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 he's like a little boy at this point. It, it's, it's, it's definitely intended to teach Peter something. He had to feel just horrible about going down there with a hook like this. But then there's a miracle in the fish. So Jesus actually, it, it, there's there's grace and truth all at once <laughs> in this thing. It, it's the way that Peter's going to have to go get it. He's going to have to go back to his old profession, but not in the way that he used to do it in order to get this money for the tax. In Paul, remember, is writing to the church at Rome, to, which he's never been to. He doesn't know these people. They're, they're not 
friends of his. The, he's not been among them like he was in Ephesus or Galatia or Corinth or, or Colossae or any of those other places. Now, this is different. This is a group of people that he hasn't been to yet. And so he's, tr- he's got more to say to them. But but he's but it's not personalized. It, it's it's he's giving them theology here. He, he's giving them the theology and laying it out, um, sort of from the beginning, and he's making a case against every single human being on earth. He says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith." As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. And, and so in that, we, we see a revelation. Now, do we take that revelation and allow it to shape us? And that's exactly what this means. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. Their righteousness is faith-based righteousness. They're trusting in God, not in themselves. So who are the righteous? The righteous are those who have faith. What does it mean that the righteous have faith? It means that now their lives are changed. It means that they're, they're now pursuing righteousness through faith. So they've been given the Holy Spirit, and now they're pursuing righteousness that comes from faith. But it all begins and ends with faith in the one who was resurrected from the dead, as Paul's already told us. He said, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And if it were true in their day that this next part, wow, is it, it's true in spades in our own day through evolutionary biology. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. He's given them a revelation. There's there's this common grace that's poured out on all flesh, and that common grace is the revelation of a creator. He said, so for his his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. All these things, he said, bear witness to him, the, the creator. They, they, bear, they bear witness to him, and they provide evidence that there is a creator. And, and it's evident that that creator is good, and he's also great. So they have everything they need. Even without the gospel, he says, they know about God. They know about his invisible attributes. They know about his power. They know about his, his knowledge of all things. They, they, they know all those things just by observing creation. He says, so they're without excuse. And he says they're clearly perceived. But So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what he says is they denied the one who created all things. They were so enamored of the things that they could see, the things around them, mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. And they, they were so enamored of those things that they turned them into idols and began to worship them. Well, how in the world could you possibly do that? 
But we worship all kinds of things. I mean, just look, we are idol-making factories. We can worship a house, a job, a career, uh, fame, whatever. I mean, all that stuff. And the way we worship it is, is that we give it all our time and attention and, and our resources. And, th- and then we don't like to hear about tithing. So we, no, we push back on that because, well, we already had plans for that money. <laughs> and, and so that's what we do. But now he's talking about other things, lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And what we're going to, what the lectionary skips are the next two verses, which talk about homosexuality. Now, I have no particular, um, uh, look, here's the deal. I, I, people can be attracted to all kinds of things. And I don't have to care one way or another about that. And I'm not judging what somebody has a desire for. Because you can desire, as I said, all kinds of things. What I have to judge, though, is conduct. But you have to judge it in all things. Why the lectionary, why the people who framed this lectionary decided to leave out these three verses just in this way? Because they didn't skip it in the day. They don't, they don't go you know, through um, 16 to 25 and then 29 to 32. No, it... it they do it in a dishonest way because they just leave them out overnight. And you don't remember that you left off yesterday at verse 25 and today you're starting somewhere else. And they're the only verses in the book of Romans they leave out in the lectionary. So there's an agenda behind that. But the problem is that that in doing that, then in my mind it points to it. It points to an agenda and says these things are okay. If you leave them out, you don't talk about those things. But but they're not the worst and only things that we can have lust in our hearts to impurity for. We can, we can do that with prostitutes. We can do it, but we can do it with all kinds of things where we deny our bodies. We give in to the lusts of the body. There's all kinds of things. There's gluttony. It's all those sort of things. Drunkenness, every bit of that. So, but, but we do have to say it all relates to conduct. The desire itself is not sinful giving uh, in to the desire and allowing ourselves to be led by the desire is sin. And so that's why this is a problem, that they leave this out. Because he's talking about conduct is why is what he's, what he's going to say and criticize here. Because you have to let desire be born and let it come out and not push it down and fight against it in order for your conduct to be changed. And so, but it all comes down to faith, right? I mean, it all comes down to faith because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I'm not going to pick on one sin over another. I just want to point out the agenda that leaves that, that part of, of Romans out and only that part of Romans.